vanishing platypus or whatever the fuck. Is that a thing? No, what, what was the animal that I was? A raccoon. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> I see you like your creatures. Creatures. Oh, boy. I was going to make some kind of uh, terrible joke. And instead, I will simply say, welcome to Super Duper Stitious. The comedy podcast about spooky stuff and the science behind that spooky stuff. Ooh. I don't know. I'm Jake. And I'm I'm Wyatt. (laughs) I'm choosing to be Wyatt this week. (laughs) Great. We'll trade off next time, maybe. In a massive break from uh, tradition here. <laughs> and if you're just joining us for the first time, welcome. Yeah. You've got a lot of work to do. Yep. Go and listen to 145 of the other episodes. episodes. Goodness gracious. First. Mm-hmm. We're almost at a big old buck 50. Mm. Very exciting. Not Should sure what will happen. Oh, my God. Will that actually time out perfectly with the shocktoberfest that is gonna be uh, i mean if we go bi-weekly or something currently it's gonna be coming out on uh i think uh september 16th oh which is the four phantoms opening Ooh, special opening for phantoms phantoms (laughs) (laughs) yes (laughs) um that's exciting we'll talk about that more in the mid-roll ad that we do for them exactly but for now what we're doing is just getting off of this this darn uh what was it capsule or something this capsule thing i don't remember i kind of forget too it was a very long flight after all i know we got to russia from uh thailand very quickly mm-hmm. using that nice button on that nice plane <laughs> this capsule despite being a capsule very slow very slow took a long nap but now we're here in ecuador and if you don't know what's happening it's August, August around, around the, world. the world. Now, two episodes ago, we were in Thailand, and I discovered an amazing website called Infinity Explorers, and we enjoyed their amazing logo. Yes. I forgot to mention this back when it happened, but as far as I can tell, the day after that episode came out, they updated to a new logo. Let me see. I actually think it's not bad. I am clicking on the tab. I'm going over. Mm. Compared to what they had. Okay, it is much hipper. And it actually does convey the name of the website. <laughs> Want to describe what you're seeing? I am looking at, okay. Should we take people back through the previous two logos or just describe this one? Maybe describe this one. If you want to hear more about the other one, you can just listen to the episode where we went to Thailand. I said 143, I think. 144. What we're looking at now is the infinity symbol on its side. Mm-hmm. Which, which I guess is where it's, it's, how it goes. How it should be. <laughs> Otherwise, it's an eight. Otherwise, it's an eight. <laughs> uh, we're looking at the race car track symbol. Uh, <laughs> we got the infinity symbol with an alien sitting in, or, you know, your classic gray sitting in a UFO-type flying saucer thing on the left, which appears I to guess be raining. Is, blasting upward but it looks like it's raining from <laughs> underneath it and on the right is a much more uh what would you say high saturation yeah it's a very different style drawing entirely polychrome almost 3d as far as the color situation yeah, have going on vaguely led zeppelin-y energy yeah. sort of illuminati eyeball sitting yes. in a triangle um, also a bit of uh, Simon Says energy coming off of it. And then underneath <laughs> all of this is Explorers, 
So if you don't know what you're looking at, you might just think it is explorers <laughs> with these weird symbols above it. But in fact, it is infinity explorers. That's right. And if you squint your eyes, it kind of looks like a weird frog with a flat mouth. I <laughs> see it. You're right. It does. <laughs> but, you know, it's a step forward. They could take perhaps infinity minus one steps further. <laughs> <laughs> but now we're in Ecuador. And that's yes. pretty cool for us. We are in Ecuador. It's, I guess, hot. We're on the equator. The days are roughly 12 hours long <laughs> all year round. <laughs> yep. And it's very tropical. Uh-huh. High diversity, biodiversity is through the roof. Oh, boy. We can hear the birds flying. Oh, Christ. <laughs> uh, we can hear the bugs crawling. Crawl- the sound of bugs crawling, yes. We can definitely loud, hold my microphone to the ground here. Yeah, loud, there they are. A loud chittering. Mm-hmm. I don't know what that was I just heard. <laughs> God damn it, <laughs> And um, as it is an even episode, we will turn our attention squarely to me. Just kidding, Jake. It is to me. And I think before I even take the spotlight, I would like to take a little bit of time to thank a patron of ours on our Patreon. We'll do that using this machine, the NC AAA, a machine we... Uh, half no, built, half I'm summoned. Sure you say, yeah. <laughs> yep, uh, half half uh, built, half summoned. A few years ago, for a different purpose. Now we use it for this. Using a program <laughs> called Pander, the Patron Appreciation Neural Dive for Evaluation of Risk. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Let me catch up. <laughs> I don't know what to do. I'm so so denuded by this. <laughs> So what what we'll do here is use this uh, program to essentially tap into the dark ether and calculate, analyze, or otherwise figure out what creature, cryptid, ghoulie monster, or what have you out there in the world our patrons must be on the lookout for. So first off, we'll turn on the machine, and then we will plug it into our brains. We there have we go. our basal stem porthole, nothing like the one in the other movie. And we will focus in on Katie, 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 keep an eye out for Rat Man of South End. I mean, I don't know what else there really needs to be said. Yeah, if you're in the South End, watch out for Rat Man. He's a local legend originating in the the town of South End on Sea, Essex. Now, Katie, 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 I'm pretty sure... You are um, based in the UK. T. I don't know how close you are to South End on Sea, Essex. But, uh, you know, uh, centering around an underpass, legend has two main variants. The commonality between them being the Ooh. presence of a rat like creature who appears in the pedestrian walkways at night. And apparently there is a ghost version. Uh-huh. And once the download goes past this fucking game thing, uh-huh. <laughs> uh, ghost. <laughs> Which is the most commonly told story of the Rat Man, um, involving an old man who used the underpass to escape from the rain and the cold at nights. Story goes that he was old and barely able to walk, period. One night, a group of teenagers beat him half to death, stole his blanket, the only real source of warmth he had. And as you'll know, Katie, 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 he turned into a ghost rat. Yep. <laughs> another Another theory is that Mutant child. <laughs> it's far more fanciful. Seems to have emerged through schoolyard folklore. 
a tale passed between children to frighten and unnerve their classmates. In this version, the rat man is no longer a ghost, but a real creature. Ooh. Story runs that the mayor of the town was a known adulterer and was eventually cursed for his infidelity in the form of a grotesque child, a baby with the elongated snout and worm-like tail of a rat. So hot. <laughs> and the third and final theory, I think, is references in media. Yes. <laughs> Local author D. Gordon, so if you see this guy... Uh, he knows how to draw the local ghost stories of the Essex area, uh, including that of the Rat Man. So if you see him, he might have gotten a good look and uh, avoid both. And thank you so much for your we support really appreciate on Patreon. It. Um, we appreciate all of our patrons. If you yourself would like your name entered into the pander function to be calculated and allotted uh, here on our show uh you can have that happen at any of our tiers we have three dope tiers on mm-hmm. our patreon um that is patreon.com slash super duperstitious and each tier of course brings you super cool things including monthly outtakes weekly minisodes quarterly stickers and we still have extra ones i mentioned before but we will get into this more later for now let's go ahead and unplug uh, this we'll just plug it back in later i think it'll work fine sounds good you've got the uh standby mode that you just built so yeah there we go there. All right, now. All right, Jake. <laughs> what did you find on your 15-minute drive around Ecuador? Yeah, well, as we were talking this whole time, we were on a, a quick sightseeing tour around uh, Ecuador. And in that time, I learned about uh, this thing that I also was in Atlas Obscura. Uh, for <laughs> as long as anyone can remember, the indigenous shuar. The tour company we use. Yeah. Uh, uh, for as long as anyone can remember, the indigenous Shuar people of Ecuador have been an- entering a vast cave system on the jungle-covered fo- eastern foothills of the Andes. They descend using ladders made of vines through one of three steep entrances, the largest of which is a 213-foot-deep, or 65-meter, shaft that leads Ooh. into a network of tunnels and chambers stretching, as far as we know, for at least 2.85 miles. I forgot to translate it into uh, kilometers, but, you know. Pretty much 300 kilometers. <laughs> the largest chamber measures between um, uh, measures 295 feet by 787 feet, or about 90 meters by 240 meters. Uh, it is two-dimensional, so, you know. <laughs> yeah. Uh, for the Shuar... Pretty tough navigating. Yes. These caves have long been a center for spiritual and ceremonial practices, home to powerful spirits as well as tarantulas, scorpions, and rainbow boas. Hmm. They're also home to nocturnal oil birds, uh, known locally as tayos, hence the name of the cave, Cueva de los Tayos. The tayos are a favorite food of the Shuar, uh, the hmm. reason why they brave the depths of the cave system. In their role as guardians of the cave system, the Shuar have been left in relative peace over the last century or two, apart from an occasional gold prospector snooping around the 1950s and 60s. Until that was a certain Erich von Daniken decided to get involved. Oh, shit. Have you heard of this guy? Isn't he like an uh, ancient aliens type dude? You know this guy. He's like uh, Chariots of the Gods. That's, yeah, that's the, this is the guy. Wow. I do know him. I am him. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> I should have known after all these years that you were the one who captured the global imagination in 1968 with the publication <laughs> of chariots of the gods question mark 
<laughs> which was in large part responsible for the current plague of ancient astronaut theories. Yes. And I think he also created um, George uh, Sukulos in his basement. <laughs> he must have. Out of like Cheetos and cum. Is <laughs> a hair gel, but yes. Uh, then three years later, he published The Gold of the Gods, unleashing a little-known theory about the Cueva de los Taos upon his eager readership. In The Gold of the Gods, von Daniken recounted the claims of Janos Moritz, an explorer who claimed to have entered the caves in 1969. Inside the cave, he asserted he had discovered a treasure trove of gold, strange artifacts and sculptures, and a quote-unquote metallic library containing lost information preserved on metal tablets. Whoa. And the caves themselves were surely artificial, he claimed, created by some advanced intelligence now lost to history. Hmm. Morix was a Hungarian explorer who spent a lot of time in Ecuador and who had some ideas. Hmm. Uh, of the aforementioned subterranean discovery, he specifically had this to say at the time in 1969. Quote, I have discovered valuable objects of great cultural and historical value to humanity. The objects consist especially of metal sheets that probably contain the summary of the history of an extinguished civilization, of which we don't have the least indication to date. Do we actually have these metal sheets handy? No, of course not. This ancient civilization would later be elaborated upon so as to point to a good 250,000 years of lost human history. Wow. Morix also said, uh, just so happened to peddle the theory that various European civilizations originally came from South America, uh-huh. and that several indigenous languages of the region were in fact old Hungarian. Uh-huh. He was perfectly content not to back up this claim with any examples. I mean, when it's something as so obvious as this, you don't right. really need to. Right, you don't to, need to, uh, yeah. You could just say it, and it just is true. Done. So all this sounds just fantastic to Donic- uh, Von Donikin, uh, and tied in very nicely with his spate of lucrative books promoting his theories of lost civilizations, ancient astronauts, and stuff. <laughs> or as Carl Sagan put it, Von Donikin's theory that, quote, our ancestors were dummies. Yeah, for real. Uh, This also inspired the first major scientific expedition to Cueva de los Taos. The 1976 expedition was led by Stan Hall, a Scottish civil engineer who had read von Donneken's work. It quickly grew to become one of the largest cave expeditions of its time, with more than 100 people involved. Hmm. These included British and Ecuadorian government officials, leading scientists and speleologists, British special forces, professional cavers, and none other than former astronaut Neil Armstrong who served as the expedition's honorary president. The expedition was a success, at least in terms of general cave exploration. Mm -hmm. The extensive network of caves was mapped far more thoroughly than ever before. I was going to say, meaning they physically went into the cave. Yes, they did explore the cave successfully. (laughs) Uh, Zoological and botanical findings were recorded, and archaeological discoveries were made. But no gold was found, no otherworldly artifacts discovered, there was no sign of a metallic library. Mm Mm-hmm. The cave system, too, appeared to be the result of natural forces rather than any kind of advanced engineering. I think at least one version of it said there was like alien lasers blasted the caves out, but it was just naturally. That was the pyramids, I think. Ah, that's right. Uh, This is just your standard water and limestone. Uh, Interest in the Cueva de los Taos never again reached the heights of the 1976 expedition, but numerous research expeditions have since taken place. One of the more recent expeditions was that of Josh Gates and his team for the fourth season of the television series Expedition Unknown. Hmm. Gates entered the cave system Expedition with... Expedition Unknown, right? That's the, yeah, everyone knows the theme song for that. 
Uh, Gates entered the cave system with Shuar guides and Eileen Hall, the daughter of the late Stan Hall from the 1976 expedition. She is now one of the two uh, kind of caretakers in charge of the whole uh, cave system. They're looking to kind of try and preserve it. Uh, I think it might be a UNESCO World Heritage Site now. I can't remember for sure. Oh, cool. Um, Makes sense. But, uh, yeah, uh, went in there and, uh, you know, didn't find the same stuff. But while expeditions such as these (laughs) have resulted in fascinating zoological and geological discoveries, Mm -hmm. still no sign of gold, aliens, or a library. Hmm. However, Wyatt, this may not be the whole story. Whoa. Somewhere along the lines, word got out that there might have been even more important discoveries in the area, discoveries that were being covered up. Oh, no. In all my research, I saw some crossover between tales of the lost metal library and tales of giant skeletons being unearthed. The latter were said to belong to the lost civilization that created the former. You have heard of this? I have. I briefly contemplated talking about this. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) And then uh, the truck drove me to another tourist destination. Go on. Uh, in 2013 or so, British anthropologist Russell Dement and his team uncovered the remains of humans of an abnormal height. A lot of articles about this included photos of an absolutely enormous human skeletons. Some of these were, in fact, images from the museum of our friend Erich von Daniken. Oh, boy. Uh, the vibe portrayed in these is best summed up by this headline from archaeologyworld.com. Um, <laughs> Here we go. Which is, quote, Ecuador exposed the skeletons of an ancient race of giant humans, seven times bigger than modern humans. Okay. Yep. The entirety of that article is as follows. Quote, according to a research team led by British anthropologist Russell Dement, or Dement, I haven't decided how to pronounce it, strikingly tall skeletons uncovered in the Amazon region of Ecuador and Peru are undergoing examination in Germany. Hmm. Will these remains prove that a race of tall people existed deep in the Amazon rainforest hundreds Hmm. of years ago? No. <laughs> I, I mean, also, maybe. Yeah, you never know. I will note that none of the articles making this specific type of claim actually include any quotes from Dement. Uh, the articles that do tell a very different story, far less von Donikin-esque kind of story. Uh, here's a more recent article following up on this apparent discovery. Mm. It says, although Russell Dement says the tribe of giants has almost certainly died out, he and a team of German researchers have excavated two settlements in the Ecuador and Peru Amazon region and found a half dozen human skeletons that measure between seven and eight feet in height. Okay, that's not as crazy as 42 feet. No, it said seven times bigger than modern humans. Like, no, it's seven feet tall. Still very tall, but believably, yeah. yes, maybe hyperactive gland territory. Right. Uh, Demons said the settlements dated to the early 1400s and in one case at the mid-1500s in the second. Uh, we're very early in our research, and I'm only able to provide a general overview of what we have found, he said. I don't want to make claims based on speculation since our work is ongoing. Because of the size of the skeletons, this has both anthropological and medical implications. Hmm. Two of the skeletons have been sent to Freya Universität in Germany for analysis, including one that measures eight feet, while the others remain on site in Ecuador. So, yeah, like you said, this has a bit more reasonable actual heights that actual people sometimes do reach. Mm-hmm. Uh, so maybe the years of claims of there being a civilization of ancient giants in Ecuador are actually just based on something more grounded than that. Hmm. Demon says he has heard about the race of large Amazonians for more than 25 years as he has studied the Shuar and Achuar Amazon indigenous communities. Mm-hmm. Quote, the elders in the community tell a story about very tall, pale-skinned people who used to live nearby, he says. 
They described them as peaceful, gentle people who were always welcomed in their villages. Hmm. Stories of the giant Amazonians have been known for more than a hundred years since the first anthropologists made contact with Amazon tribes. One of the first mentions of them was in an article by the German researcher Franz Bosch, who heard about it from a community of the Shuar, southeast of Cuenca. Hmm. Bosch is best known for his study of head shrinking, which, unfortunately, he personally fell victim to. Oh, man. Hopefully he died first. <laughs> Uh, there are quite a few references to the giants in the scientific literature, says Dement. Damn it, I keep switching. But because the Shuar insisted <laughs> belonged to the, uh, to the spirit world, it was always assumed that they were legend and not fact. Hmm. What caught Dement's attention was the fact that the same story is told by indigenous Amazonians over a large area of the jungle area east of the Andes, with area twice, in both Ecuador and <laughs> Peru. Quote, because the stories were so similar and because I heard them so frequently, no matter where I worked, I've always thought there might be something to them. Hmm. In December 2013, Demet received a phone call from a Shuar friend who had found part of a skeleton about 70 miles from Cuenca. Hmm. He said that it was one of the giants, says Demet. I was in Quito at the time and, of course, rushed down to take a look. What Demet found was the skull and ribcage of a large female who had lived about 600 years ago. The remains had been exposed by flooding of a nearby creek. Hmm. With the help of his friend, he quickly located the rest of the skeleton, which had been moved in the flood. When he assembled the entire skeleton, it measured 7 feet 4 inches. Wow. Within two months, Dement assembled a team of four research associates from Freya Universität in Berlin. Did you say that was a female skeleton too? Yes. Wow. Yeah. The university also provided funding for excavation and research work. Quote, even though I have been working with Freya for many years, I was concerned that they might not give a grant for someone looking for giants, says Dement. Uh, to outsiders, especially scientists, I understand that this sounds harebrained. Once together, Dement's team worked for six months unearthing three more complete skeletons and parts of two more, collecting artifacts and mapping the area. During the work and with the assistance of his Shuar friends, Dement located a second settlement about 20 miles away, on the Ecuadorian-Peruvian border, where two more skeletons were found. Whoa. That settlement dated to about 1550. Quote, the exciting thing about the second site is that it proved that the tribe had been in the area for at least 150 years, and probably a lot longer, says Demet. It also means that they were both pre-Columbian and post-Columbian, although we've found no evidence that they interacted with the Spanish. Hmm. Preliminary study indicates that these six bodies were of relatively healthy, well-proportioned humans. Quote, the skeletons show no signs of diseases such as the hormonal growth problems that are common in most cases mm. of gigantism. Hmm. In all the skeletons, the joints seem, uh, seemed healthy and the lung cavity appeared large. One of the skeletons that uh, we have dated was of a female who was about 60 when she died, much older than typical cases of gigantism. Wow. I think a lot of the, the tallest recorded people in history you know, the last century or so died like in their 20s or 30s. Very tragic. Just Oof. the body can't really uh, handle that. Right. And I think people who got to 42 feet in height pretty much... Uh we're done with another first year or two. <laughs> yes. Uh, Demet says the burials were elaborate. Bodies were wrapped in leaves that were still partly intact when we excavated them. All the bodies were surrounded by a thick layer of clay, which prevented water intrusion. and is probably responsible for the fact that the skeletons are, relati are in relatively good condition. Hmm. Demet says he expects the work at Freya to uh, continue for at least a year, after which he and his team will publish their findings. Because of the sensational nature of this, we have to be extremely diligent in our research since it will be met with a great deal of skepticism. And that's true, Wyatt. Got that right. Some people are pretty skeptical. <laughs> uh, even though the claims here are much tamer than 40-foot-tall giants once roamed the earth, 
mm-hmm. uh, folks still questioned the legitimacy of this story. What are your thoughts on it? I guess I'm in a similar camp. I mean, it's a much less uh, outlandish uh, sale. I guess I would want to see the docs for myself, see mm-hmm. what evidence they've got. Yeah. To come to a full conclusion, but at this point, I would consider myself um, open to it and not wanting to necessarily uh, stuff it back down their throats or anything versus the Von Daniken stuff, which is, uh, you know, uniformly batshit, pretty much. Right. And I was feeling about the same way, too, until I was looking more into the uh, skeptical side of this. People were saying, well, yeah, yeah. seem right. Certainly fair. So I followed up. I, I, I'll link to one of the articles I read that someone was saying, hey, this seems weird. And I followed up in the same way they did. And I couldn't find any peer-reviewed articles by Russell Dement at all. That'll do it. Not just this one. He was, he was saying that they were going to work on it for another year before publishing. This was last year that they said that. The discovery was supposedly in 2013, so I'm not sure how long it would take for them to be able to say, hey, we found some skeletons. Uh, <laughs> yeah, you'd think it would be done by now. Also, you'd think you'd find potentially some kind of uh, granting agency listing right. the research. So similarly, I, uh, so I couldn't find any um, scholarly articles by him. Couldn't even find any mention of him outside of the various articles about this specific story. And as he pointed out, I also couldn't find any connection between him and Freya Universitat. So no Mm. indication that they were actually bankrolling this study to begin with. I Mm. searched their website for any mention of Ecuador at all. And all they talked about was like study abroad programs. Mm -hmm. Nothing to do with this study. And if it were this, you know, any kind of groundbreaking archaeological find. No pun intended. Oh, shit. Uh, yes. uh, any kind of major ar- archaeological find like this <laughs> there it is people would want to like say hey hey we we funded this super cool discovery we helped contribute to this new understanding of the world and our history absolutely there'd be no even if it was a modest or lackluster study they still want to be like hey don't forget your who's your daddy basically exactly i mean any any of the stuff we did research at a university for a while and they're putting out press releases all the time about like any little cool thing that was being done most damningly of all this there are no photos of any of this shit i was actually prepared to believe this was simply yeah this maybe this discovery of a village of surprisingly tall people but now even that seems untrue i'm i'm not really sure what the goal would be behind hoaxing something this specifically and this elaborately but i'm willing to go on record as saying i think that maybe is what's going on yeah i mean it almost feels like how do you sell a hoax but to more soberly portray it that's right yeah, the next craziest version of it you know what i mean like there aren't 42 foot tall skeletons there's only seven foot tall ones it's not that crazy right but yeah what is, what's the end goal right what's he getting out of this other than like a goofy article if this person's even real. Right. And if if he's not real, I wonder who's behind it. It seems too, you know, well pulled off to be uh, one of these doofy ass like ancient alien types trying to perpetuate that uh, belief. But right. I don't know why else that would be there. So, yeah, not only were there no magical alien tunnels full of metal writings and not only were those tunnels <laughs> not made by advanced ancient giants, but there also probably were no people in the area who are even slightly above average height. And anyone telling you otherwise is waving a big old red flag. Well, gosh darn it. Mm-hmm. It's very interesting. I do want to try and kind of keep up with this going forward to see if there are any more developments, any more like delays. Are we still, we can't show the results yet or if they just kind of don't follow the thread. Because again, this first came out in 2013. Right. And they're they're covering it again just in the last year or so. So 
it's not gone yet. Right. Uh, but we'll we'll see what happens with it. But for now, that's what I got from here in Ecuador. Well, very cool, Jake. Um, just so happens I just got news this morning that the uh, upper tier of directors at Four Phantoms Incorporated, now merely a subsidiary of the Four Phantoms <laughs> International Microbrewery family of Four Phantoms, are very happy with the uh, revised messaging that we presented last week. Oh, that's good to know. So in that spirit, I will carry on. Uh, Four Phantoms, the only brewery to successfully combine the full powers of heavy metal, Dungeons and Dragons, and beer to make amazing beer. <laughs> For anyone around Western Mass, you've got a chance to meet Four Phantoms in person. All four of them. All four of them will be pouring beer at beautiful Pine Hill Orchards on Saturday, September 4th from 11 a.m. to 4 p.m. Mm. Eastern Standard Time with live music and live food from Pine Hill's food truck, Fried Dough. Um, <laughs> most importantly, as well, as we stressed in the email, oh, excuse me, <laughs> as was stressed in the email from corporate last week, and I quote, the best decision anyone can make right now is to buy a Four Fandoms Taproom membership. There's literally no other decision to make <laughs> whatsoever, end quote. So for $100, which ain't that much, you get discounts, pride, power, first dibs on new releases and brew parties, and a dope pint glass. You will also be invited to a super special members-only opening starting September 16th and rolling on through the weekend. Uh, before their true opening, I think, uh, a little while after that. Uh, so yeah, members and their buds will get exclusive access to the tap room. That includes me. That includes you, Jake, because you're my friend. <laughs> Yay. Um, otherwise, you would not be allowed that's, in. That's fair. I have a super secret card uh, that I printed off for myself. Um, <laughs> yes, from Thursday to Sunday. If you are able to purchase for phantoms you can do so online or in shops in massachusetts and rhode island they have an array of delicious beer and if you've tried them or you just want to help support them go to untapped.com u-n-t-a-p-p-d to leave them a cool review and a favorable score uh and if you happen to mention us we will read it on the show ooh, 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 ooh. oh my wait can this be no are you for real? Wait, I want to see. I want to see. I want to see. I'm sharing screen. I'm I sharing screen. I want to see it. <laughs> uh, people like Phantom oh, O. Oh, my God. <laughs> Fire killer. I hunt. Can't find me, but I see you. Sean Wayne lies. Can't defeat me. Eyes to the sky. Fire killer. Beware. I hunt. So this is from the Whoa. Phantom of Chicago. Um, <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> This needs to be the episode uh, screen. It's gonna be. So um, there is um, big news. Yeah, uh, Drew already saw this, but and so did oh someone as Jeff the mongoose, Jeff T. Uh, oh my God, guys, wow, this is having community. fun without us, man. So this is just four days ago. So All so right. anyway, major so, news. Yeah, the Phantom of the Chicago likes purple potion at Four Phantoms. You should too, Sean Wayne. I'm not sure if you're looking at their man, but. Watch out. I don't know where you and the T-1000 are currently, but... You need to be on guard, my man. Yes, indeed. Um, if you want to leave a review that either mentions us specifically or just uh, tangentially references things involving the show, we will read it here on said show. And thank you for Phantoms. And thank you for Phantoms. <laughs> wow. 
Um, okay. So, I don't know if we've brought up Spanish cryptozoologist Angel Morant Fores or maybe Angel. Uh, I would guess Angel, yeah. And no, I don't know if we have. Um, but he seems to have made a name for himself in some cryptozoological circles. He has done a good deal of work in South America. Um, among his odd achievements is an alluringly crappy picture he took in Ecuador, so it counts, of what has come to be called the Macus animal, or Macus mammal, hmm. which kind of looks like a taxidermy tube sock weasel. <laughs> tube sock weasel. <laughs> but before I show you this picture, I will tell you a little bit of the story. Please do. Flores discovered the specimen in Macus in a small shop of animal souvenirs. And to his regret, he only snapped the photo of it and did not buy it, as he was uncertain as to whether he would be able to take it back to Spain with him. Mm. On his return to Spain, he sent the photographs to five mammologists, one of whom believed it was a manipulated yapok, or water opossum. Mm. But the rest, apparently, believed it could be a new species. Mm. Uh, Fores described the specimen thus... The maca specimen is 35 or 40 centimeters long, has a proboscis on its snout and webbed feet. It cannot be uh, Curonectes minimus, which is the water possum, hmm. uh, because both males and females have a marsupial ventral pouch, whereas the maca specimen has no pouch whatsoever. Moreover, the maca specimen has a feature which rules out all known marsupials from South America. Its forefeet are webbed. Whereas in the Yapok, again, water possum, only the hind feet possess an interdigital web. The maca specimen cannot be a rodent either because rodents have no proboscis. Could it be an insectivore? Well, the only thing I can say is that none of the known South American insectivores are aquatic. All of them belong to the genus Cryptodus and are arboreal or terrestrial. Mm-hmm. I also investigated the origin of the stuffed specimen and learned from a shore again, the indigenous people of Ecuador and Peru, hmm. that the mystery animal is common in local rivers. So here is the picture. You know, your initial description did capture it. Taxidermy tube sock weasel. Kind of looks like if Star Fox died. <laughs> yep. <laughs> no, Star Fox, no! Shut up, Slippy. But his description is so much more... exotique. Hmm. Uh, Fores attempted several times to purchase the animal through a contact in Macas, but the shop's owner refused to sell, apparently. Later told cryptozoology nerd Carl Schuker the specimen had been examined by Ecuadorian biologist Didier Sanchez, who determined that it was a Yapok, which had been manipulated by a taxidermist. Mm. Fores stressed that the verdict was not final, but it looks like a poorly taxidermied water possum, as they say. It probably is. <laughs> but that is not the main reason I'm bringing up Flores today. I am bringing him up because during the same summer that we were all collectively forced to process the trauma of having to watch Switch die inside of the Matrix, <laughs> Flores was doing some more field work in southern Ecuador's Amazonian region. Much like his insistent pursuits of the Macus specimen, Forrest was on the hunt for any other beasts in the area that modern science had yet to confirm. And as revealed in his field report of October later that year, he was staggered to learn that several of these creatures may indeed exist there, including one Mm. enigmatic cat Mm. 
mm. of extraordinarily colorful appearance or a sisa uh-huh. to give it the old Princess Bride treatment. <laughs> Quote, known to the Shuar Indians in the Marcus region as the Chinkuchen, this incredible cryptid is reputed to be the size of a jaguar mm. and black in color, but ornately decorated with several stripes of different colors, Ooh. black, white, red, and yellow, Mm-hmm. On its chest, hmm. just like a rainbow, in the words of one native hunter, Koff, reportedly Koff, interviewed <laughs> by Angel. Said to inhabit the Trans Sierra de Kutuku and the Sangay volcano area near Chiguatza, the Chenkuchen is described by the Shuar as having monkey like forepaws hmm. and being an exceptionally good tree climber, leaping from tree trunk to tree trunk at great speed, and thus greatly feared as an extremely dangerous animal. One such cat thing may have been killed in 1959 by a Policarpio Rivadeniera, a Macas settler, while walking through the rainforest of Cerro Calamo, a low mountain near the Abnico River. Oh boy. Uh, he had seen the creature leaping from tree to tree and scared that it would attack him, preemptively shot it. Uh, when Riva Deniera examined it, he discovered that it was a jaguar-sized cat, but instantly distinguishable from all cats that he had ever seen by virtue of the series of multicolored stripes running across its chest and also by its simian forepaws. Again, monkey-like. Sadly, uh, Riva Deniera does not appear to have retained the creature's carcass or even its pelt, so there's no physical evidence yet, of course. Classic. Great. Ecuador, as I mentioned at the top, has the distinction of being one of the most biodiverse regions of the entire planet. Mm-hmm. Among the many mammal species that call Ecuador home are several known wild cats, including ocelots, jaguarundis, cougars, and jaguars, each of which faces major challenges through confrontation with people. Of particular note is a critically endangered subspecies of jaguar, Panthera onca or onza centralis from the Ecuadorian coast. Hmm. Um, this species is the largest cat in Ecuador's coastal tropical forests, but I guess surprisingly little is known even about its population and conservation status, so we know there aren't many of them, hmm. but not much else. Before Forrest even got a swing at Shenkuchen, and this is all just to say... There's a lot of cats in Ecuador. Right. <laughs> Dutch-Brazilian primatologist and environmental activist Mark Van Roosmalen was in the area. Uh, Van Roosmalen has legitimately discovered a suite of monkey species as well as other plants and animals, uh, though some of these identifications and descriptions have been called into question over time. Uh, from what I've read, though, uh, for as much as he has described some new species and helped to attract genuine attention for the Amazon, he's also a bit of a bad boy. Mm. Uh, he's illegally transported monkeys and orchids mm. and illegally kept monkeys at his preserve, Uh-oh. which doesn't sound like much, but he was thrown in jail for 14 years and uh-huh. got out after one, I guess. Huh. Um, yeah, fell out of uh, favor down there. Hilariously, and perhaps too appropriately as well, he was also appointed as a distinguished scholar in residence at my alma mater, Bard <laughs> College, for the 2010 to 2011 academic year, so I just missed him, but that would have been interesting. Fascinating. 
Yes, I could have been like, dude, I'm going to talk about you in 11 years. <laughs> um, all this sets Van Roosmelen as a genuine seeker and qualified describer of species that are new to Western science, hmm. a feature that is important when we consider that in the later 1990s, Van Roosmelen described running into a, quote, strange jaguar in Brazil. Hmm. What has come to be labeled the white-throated jaguar. Hmm. And I'll now hand it over to Darren Nash at Science Blogs, who covered <laughs> some of Mark's works back in 2013. It was described as larger than a typical jaguar, entirely black, except for an irregularly shaped white bib-like marking on the throat. And, in contrast to melanistic jaguars, rosettes could not be seen in its coat. Oh. Um, and as just a quick aside for anyone listening, melanistic jaguars are simply very dark jaguars, a slight change in their genes means their fur is a dark brown or black rather than yellow overall, if you will. Melanism, just like albinism, just sometimes happens in nature for a lot of different animals. Um, but even with the darkest melanistic jaguars, one can typically make out the trademark rosette patterning. Mm. So to not see this at all suggests it may not be a jaguar. It different. It different. Okay, back to Darren. Mark collected eyewitness accounts of the white-throated jaguar and from a community of Caboclo people living near the Yurakurupa River, he learned of a case where a nine-year-old girl was apparently killed by a pair of these cats. Wow. On another occasion, two people at Nova Olinda claimed to capture a cub, again, black with a white throat patch, hmm. that had remained on a bank while its parents were occupied swimming across a river. Uh, apparently, the cub later died, but its skull was retained and promptly leaves our story. <laughs> um, oh, I was wrong. Nash, who was writing in 2007, not 2013, as I said, uh, was drawing on Mark's webpage, markvanroosmullen.org, which has since evidently been overtaken by a Vietnamese orchid growing group, business, something. Hmm. Uh, clearly no longer home to his stuff. <laughs> so I don't know what happened there. <laughs> They very much kept the name, though. You go there, and it's... Fascinating. That name, and then lots of information on how to buy or grow orchids. Or how to smuggle them. Yeah, probably. <laughs> um, so and, were these the same animal? Was Flores's Chen Kuchen the same as the white-throated jaguar? Uh, was this even a real animal? We're kind of left with the same old questions with these types of cryptozoological tales. Some elements feel believable, others outlandish. Mm -hmm. What do you think, Jake? How tall were these supposed to be? <laughs> 42 feet. Okay, then yeah, I think they're real. Yeah, I personally think we just need more information. And yeah. in the meantime, story's not really hurting anybody. So I don't know, you know. This one let, isn't... Let her lie. Yeah, this is like, hey, there's an interesting species, like a, an unknown species of a type of thing that already lives in the area, but just a little bit different as opposed to... Uh, just some kind of like story that's probably probably trying to push a specific uh, agenda, a specific narrative about right. the world. This is like, hey, there's a cat. We gotta find it. It's neat. Exactly. I will say in the meantime, I don't know why a mostly black large cat in South America would feature a rainbow esque pattern on its chest. Yeah. I've been trying to think of why this would pop up or stick around as a trait. Evolutionarily. Yeah. And I have some thoughts. It's part bird. It's part bird. Pretty much exactly, Jake, <laughs> actually. You're cutting right to the quick of it. Uh, compared to humans, cats and their prey 
have amazing low light vision thanks to many more rod cells in their eyes, which are the cells whose job it is to pick up light, but not very good color vision. Hmm. For instance, folks might wonder how tigers could ever hide, but to their prey, their bright orange fur is pretty much indistinguishable with the greens of the surrounding plants and grasses. So we can tell them out, but if you are a deer, it's just a sort of jagged blur. Similar saturation to the other colors and stuff. Indeed. Uh, so if you're big, all-black cat, why take on a rainbow chest plate? And um, you kind of cut to it already, Jake. Other animals might have neutral or even maladaptive traits, traits that might hurt their ability to eat and reproduce, such as a peacock's long-ass tail. Mm -hmm. And these typically emerge from what we call sexual selection. I'm going to go down this road because ostensibly we talk about science sometimes. Yeah. <laughs> Usually... A gene for choosiness pops up in what is biologically the female of the species, making it so that a certain biologically male feature is more attractive. And then you pretty much get a feedback loop set up so that certain traits, be it songs or feather patterns or other indicators of reproductive output, become more exaggerated at the same time as choosiness becomes more intense. And a lot of this happens in birds. <laughs> yes. Because <laughs> they have extremely good vision and, um, you know audio what have you i guess you call it hearing <laughs> yeah that and that's why you end up having like frequently the female uh of a bird species is more of a kind of drab color so they can blend in with the nest and kind of hide from predators and uh the males are just really bright and colorful just to attract the females and then bail up the finished mating for the most part right and uh so they don't need to blend in so much they're not hiding on eggs so I just don't know why this would happen in a big cat, especially when such a bright pattern would likely only hinder successful hunting, especially with right. it being face forward to a prey item. Because mm -hmm. I think one of the chief sexiest traits of them all, if you're a huge predator, is just being able to successfully hunt. Right. But in the meantime, intriguing, entirely inconclusive, the classic cryptid tale. Totally. And that is what I have for you. I think it is time... Ew. We reboot that machine. All right, let me get this started again. There it goes. Okay. All right. Let's get the mind link going here. Right, oh, I right. should plug it in. Sorry. Or wait, did we leave the cords in? I can't. I left mine in. I don't know. I think it oh, feels shit. like it's still there anyway. Oh god. Well, I think mine is too. There we go. And mind link is established. We will focus in on Richard, Richard Mancuso. Mancuso. You gotta watch out for. The Emperor Tamarin. <laughs> oh, boy. I mean, Richard, I'm sorry to say it. You have one of the cutest real creatures <laughs> that has ever walked this planet, or I guess hopped around from tree to tree. Yes. This this one in particular has certifiably simian four paws. <laughs> yes. It's got a big old mustache. Only discovered by Western science in 1907. And before that, they say it was encrypted. But now it is... Your worst enemy. Yes, you must be... I mean, really, take the white-throated jaguar and shrink it down to an adorable size and take that patch from its throat and put it up on its face, and you've pretty much got yourself an Emperor Tamarin. <laughs> um, you will have to avoid them. They roam, roam around in groups of 8 to 10 individuals. Uh, they are, and I cannot stress this enough, real creatures. Uh-huh typically live in groups of four usually with one female and three males <laughs> so 
So you chew the math. Forget the eight things. Actually, four. And uh, where do they yeah. live? Dead wrong on that for some reason. Thanks to the download. Tropical rainforest, but where? I would say probably Ecuador. It's gotta be in Ecuador. <laughs> um, <laughs> in fact, we're using the search function <laughs> that we built in. It lives in the southwest Amazon basin. Oh, East Peru, so quite North Bolivia, and West Brazilian states, but not necessarily Ecuador. So they're Ecuador adjacent. Ah, yes, they are pretty south of Ecuador. Yes. Um. So yeah. Richard, look out for the Emperor Tamarin. And thank you very, very much. Thank you very, very much. For supporting um, us you, on Patrol. We very, much uh, we very much support it. We very much appreciate it. We support your appreciation. Yes. You can get all the cool stuff we said before. That's uh, bonus outtakes, weekly minisodes. We're doing some fun stuff with the minisodes. Uh, Wyatt's been pursuing this experiment that's been working out pretty great. Oh, yeah. Uh, I'm reading about some bullshit that you've heard. A lot of before, but in just different stuff you haven't heard yet. And uh, it's happening every week. And also you can get stickers quarterly. I mentioned a while back that we had a bunch of stickers. You could get three at once while supplies last. Supplies are still lasting, so you can get a whole bunch <laughs> of stickers all in the first man uh, mailing just by joining now. And uh, if you join by the end of August, Wyatt, what can people look forward to? Boy, oh boy. We are on our way towards securing some super special pint glasses. Well, not exactly pint glasses. I should say they're even better. Let me take it from the top again. We're on our way to securing some super special tulip-style beer glasses, or really whatever kind of fluid you want to drink out of them. And they are one pint, so... <laughs> they are one pint? Yep. <laughs> they happen to be one pint, but they are not to be confused with schlubby-dubby pint glasses. <laughs> uh, they will have the super-duperstitious logo etched into the side. Uh, print We're on only the side. going to print it etched with ink um, <laughs> and there will be a limited run of 100 for our first 100 patrons but we will only be able to do this if we get 100 patrons that's right <laughs> so <laughs> and ideally by the end of August yes specifically by the end of August if we don't get there too bad and we won't just decide to do it anyway yeah exactly so uh, we're halfway through the month of August, pretty much. Um, please do consider joining up now. Well, you, it's your only chance to do this cool thing. You want it? We we need about a four thousand percent increase in rate here because we're getting <laughs> about one every uh, week. <laughs> so um, we got, uh, we're up we to seventy-four. To yep. I really we need these glasses. We're drinking out of a uh, solo cup, and uh, I've got this beer can that I liked that I cut the top off. I kind of cut my mouth when I use it, but it is good. It does hold liquid. I, that is what we have right now. I I've need something else. I've been cupping my hands and pouring stuff into it. It's, it's, it's really... Yeah. When I'm trying to hold the mic with my other hand, it doesn't work great at all. <laughs> so, yeah. Do consider it. If you don't, um, you know, you can what also, can I say? Yeah, you can also support us for free. You know, leaving us a review and stuff. Let me just... Let's, 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 let's unplug the machine before we get too carried. It's gonna, we don't want to leave it on for too long. We've had it for the whole episode, so... Just, yeah, there okay. it goes. Okay. Ah, so much better. So, yeah, if you want to support <laughs> us uh, for free, you can do that by leaving us a nice review on uh, Apple Podcasts in particular. Rating and review would be cool. I've seen a couple of ratings recently. Our numbers have gone up on ratings, but not reviews. Yeah. Ratings are cool. Reviews are even cooler because then you They're can even see cooler. the nice but things you have to say about us and it makes us happy. 
and it helps people find the show. And if you're still listening, you're one of the good ones. That's and if right. you haven't reviewed us yet, you're not quite as good, but you could be even Come better. Come on. And you know, what else <laughs> is there to say, but uh, I think it's time to get on this boat. Before we hop on, I just want to mention, you know, the world has experienced no shortage of awfulness this past week. I don't want to end on a too depressing note, but I the do want to say... The boat, Yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll be ready in a second. I just want to say we're going to leave some links for ways that you can help Lebanon. Uh, they've been in dire straits lately. Power outages, all this awful stuff happen, just collapsed. Haiti, terrible earthquake. Afghanistan, holy shit. We'll leave links to help out with all those places. Okay, I'm on the boat. I'm coming. I'm coming. Oh, God. Right, how are we going to take this boat to where, Wyatt? We are off to... Can you believe it? Kenya. <laughs> um, and I figured we'd just go straight across the Pacific and right on through the Indian Ocean. And uh, we'll get there in probably five years. <laughs> uh, so... So tune in next week for that. <laughs> yes. I'm sure we'll go just fine. Very strange sounding engine on this boat. <laughs> oh no! <laughs> um, although I also I think I see some uh, some sails, which is good because we might need those if the engine dies. <laughs> Lots of birds. <laughs> Maybe I'm just hearing it in my head, though. Who knows? Uh, anyway, we'll see what happens. Yep. And we'll see you next week. Just Thank you for joining us Thank for you. August around, around the, the world. world. Goodbye. Bye.